It didn't count down. Doesn't it normally count down? Oh, it down? did. Yeah, it, it did? counted down on my end. Oh, I don't think it counted down on mine. You didn't see it? Nope. Oh, well. If I keep looking, I'm just making sure the cat's okay. The thing that I don't like when I tell stories about recording with you on Skype is that I have to keep the Skype window so little because I have to have my notes on the screen. Oh. <laughs> and, like, you look so tiny. <laughs> See, you're on my phone. I have like my, my oh, screen up, yeah. and then my phone is like propped against my screen, so I can see both at one time. I think we multitask. We make mm -hmm. it work. So, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm having mixed emotions today. Oh no! Because I'm super excited because we're recording this early, which means in like a week and a half, I get to come visit you. I know. For the first time in like almost two years. Forever. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. <laughs> Actually, it's been longer than two years. The last hasn't time it? we saw each other in person was 2019. Yeah, when we went to Georgia. When we went to Georgia. Yes, that was the last time because then we planned Salem was supposed to be last September. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And obviously, for obvious reasons, that got canceled. Yes. And we yeah, didn't do anything this spring either. It. Yeah, Everything's just been so up in the air. It's more than two years then. I know. Oh my well, gosh, I'm so excited. I was talking to Bethany and she was like, when's the last time you saw Dana? I'm like, well, technically I see her like every other weekend <laughs> on Skype, but Define I haven't C. seen her in person for a while. <laughs> but also I'm a little sad because the day this episode comes out is going to be the day that I fly home. <gasps> That's right. So if anybody sees me in an airport just like ugly crying, then you Give know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me first. Otherwise, I <laughs> might freak out. <laughs> Why is this person hugging me? We need like our own special like signal or word. Uh, yeah, our own sign language. <laughs> we or need like, a safe word. A safe word. <laughs> I know our safe word. Yes, we not do. We have a code. Word. It's not really a safe word. It's a code. It's a come help me. I'm in trouble code. Yeah. Yeah. We have our own secret, our yes. own secret code, yes, which people, do. you should get one with your friends. Yes, you have really some should. secret where you can say where it sounds totally normal, mm -hmm. but it really means I'm in trouble. Get help. Yes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of trouble, get any help. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> do you want to hear about my story today? No. No. I'm oh, you good. don't? I'm okay, good. well, this has been the darker <laughs> side of life. Just kidding. <laughs> yes, I would. Please. Today, I'm going to tell you about the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. Oh, are you trying to convert me? Was that like no. a sales pitch? <laughs> <laughs> no, not for this one. <laughs> All right. I haven't, I don't think I know this. It's a cult, of course. Well, I figured that. It sounded very culty. It's not going to be a wholesome church group. <laughs> it never is and i don't think we've been here yet on this podcast so this might be new have we done any stories in africa yet no we're going to africa this time yay are you gonna going have to... some words to pronounce yes i'm gonna okay. have many words to pronounce but I, I think i'll do okay with this one because i looked up some youtube videos of um like news articles and news agencies and stuff like in uganda and listen to them talk and like say the names and so hopefully i'll say the names right that's good i think we have some listeners in africa oh that'd be awesome if we did i think we do so i had um i had a little help from youtube uganda news organizations <laughs> i would just like say it with them <laughs> practice there's so many sources there's a Newsweek article called The Priestess of Death. Oh. A BBC article times two. There were two of them. There's five articles from the New York Times. Whoa. Two articles from The Guardian, an article from Face to Face Africa, an AP story from the Associated Press, and another AP story that I actually found from the University of Illinois Department of Anthropology's website. So I'm going to cite them too because I didn't find that article anywhere else online. Okay. I found it through University of Illinois. Cool. So here we go. Are you ready for a ride? Yes. Wait, we didn't introduce ourselves. Oh, well, hi, I'm Dana. I'm Kristen. Yeah, I was super excited to get into the story. I totally <laughs> forgot to say hi. At least you didn't call yourself my name. Again. Yes, Again. this is true. <laughs> this is the darker side of life. This is the podcast where two best friends tell each other strange, weird, creeple, creepy, creeple, 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 <laughs> weird, paranormal stories we make up words on this podcast creepy people you were trying to say yes. creepy people yeah creeple. something like that and it come out creeple and we don't tell each other what we're going to talk about 
So I'm telling a story this week that Kristen doesn't know what it is, except she does because I just told her. (laughs) (laughs) So now that that's out of the way, I can actually tell the story. Joseph Kiwatera was born in 1932, likely to a Catholic family because he grew up in the Catholic faith. He was known to have been a good Catholic kid. He ended up becoming a teacher at the same primary school he attended, and those around him say he, quote, clung to his faith like a rudder, according to one of the New York Times articles, and he always let it steer him in the right direction. One former student described him as a godly man who you could tell was godly based on how he lived his life. He showed it by tending to the sick and going to church and helping others whenever and wherever he could. Eventually, Joseph would become a supervisor for the region's Catholic schools and founded his own private Catholic school. Later, he would donate land where two Catholic churches would be built. By the way, did I mention he was Catholic? (laughs) Someone out there is playing the drinking game right now. Probably. I just realized I wrote that a bunch of times. His wife, who he married in 1960, said they never fought and he lived in a They lived in a peaceful home, which was decorated with images of Jesus and Mary and prayer cards and photos of Joseph in Rome at the Vatican. Everything seemed wholesome in Joseph's home until, as his wife said, quote, he brought those people home. Oh, oh no. Credonia Morende had been a bar owner for 10 years until her bar went bankrupt in 1989. She has been described as being beautiful with a smooth voice and a very charming personality. Typical traits in many serial killers, too, and yes. cult leaders. It's good to have if you're going to be a cult leader. Good to be have a charming personality. I mean, it's good in other aspects, too. It's good to be this charming. This is true. But... Use it for good and not evil. Yes. After losing her bar, Cordonia converted to Catholicism. It said she spent hours praying and writing. She fasted often, and many times she slept without a mattress or or denied herself many daily comforts. Having been a former bar owner and some say a sex worker, although some people say she never accepted money, she just was lived a kind of free lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Newsweek describes her as a sort of Mary Magdalene kind of figure, like a former sinner who turns like over a new leaf, which was not who Mary Magdalene was. She also claims to have received messages from the Virgin Mary. Often she would sort of black out or go into a trance, sometimes while talking to people or doing normal things in life to receive these messages. She claimed to have received one of her most important messages while sleeping in a cave outside of Kanungu. In this vision, she claims to have been told that she was to help the world restore the Ten Commandments, but they must do so with the help of a man named Kiwateri. Okay. Now, it's likely that Credonia knew who Joseph was, with him being a local church leader and all, but he was said to have been fascinated by visionaries. He read numerous books on Our Lady of Fatima, Fatima, how do you pronounce that? I think it's Fatima. Okay. He's said to have read numerous books on Our Lady of Fatima and Lourdes apparitions, and he's traveled to other sites in Africa to try and witness apparitions for himself. Joseph and his wife actually went to hear Credonia testify about her visions once. So you can imagine that when Cordonia showed up at his home saying she had a vision of the Virgin Mary and said she was told that he was to help her in her assignment. Well, that's a pretty big compliment and big stroke of the ego. So he's on board. And when you say testify, you don't mean like in a court. You mean just. No, I mean like when people go to church and they give their testimony. Their story. Telling their story. Okay. Yeah. Just so if if people aren't familiar with that term. <laughs> yeah, she's not in court, like, in court. swearing on a Bible that she saw the Virgin Mary. <laughs> she's in a church or someplace. Cordonia showed up with two other women, and at first, the family was receptive. They would join in activities and prayer together, but soon tensions started to mount. More and more people began to come join the family as word spread about the visions and their message. One of Joseph's sons later said, quote, when people came here, they started mistreating us. The family members, the children, and the mother are saying the Virgin Mary had told them to do things to keep us without food and to punish us. Cordonia soon moved into the same bedroom as Joseph and his wife, and she forbade sexual relations between the two. Okay. One of Joseph's sons, Juvenal Mungambwa, said Credonia began abusing the children and she would beat them and demand blind obedience to her and to, quote, God's messages. Well, like, who She's, is this chick? <laughs> right? She just comes in your house and takes over? <laughs> yeah. She soon banned all forms of verbal communication in the household and made everyone communicate using their, like, only sign language. 
she made everyone fast two days a week, and on the other days, cut the meals down from three a day to two a day. Okay. Now, more and more people have come to the house to hear the messages from the Virgin Mary and to pray and participate in the group's activities, whatever it is they're doing. And some people started staying there, so the house got crowded. Credonia began separating children from their parents and at one point had about 60 kids living in a 15 by 40 foot shed in the backyard. In a shed? In a shed. Okay. They had to sleep on a dirt floor and Credonia ordered the windows boarded up so they couldn't see outside. I would love to know where in the Bible it talks about this. You know, Abusing the Virgin children. Mary's talking about this or what, whatever. Oh, gosh. Joseph's son tried to offer them candy and sweets and be nice to them. But whenever he approached them, they would make a sign that he was Satan and refuse to talk to him. Oh. So Credonia pretty much brainwashed all the kids, too. Also, they don't need candy and sweets. They need, like, probably food and water and to and get clothes out of and a mattress. Yes. <laughs> yes. But Juvenile, the son, started getting his siblings and mother on board with resisting them and having suspected Joseph and Credonia of having an affair. In 1992, his wife and children finally were able to kick them out for good. Good. So all these people now get out of my house. Yes. More than one of the sources stated that Credonia set his wife's clothes on fire and then beat her up, and then that was the last straw. It's a pretty big last straw. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fire is a common theme around Cadronia, though. She's a little bit of a pyromaniac. A childhood friend of hers says she was once jilted by a local man, so she set his belongings on fire. (laughs) She was sent away to some kind of facility, and after that, it was deemed that she was mentally disturbed. A family friend says she once killed a driver who was passing through after sleeping with him and stealing his money. Oh, God. That's extreme. And in the cult's early stages, a family member of one follower refused to join, so she set fire to his banana plantation. Oh my gosh. And that cult member was a woman who had three brothers and somehow the three of them died off one by one until that woman inherited all of their land. It's suspicious. Mm-hmm. A little bit. So she's pretty extreme and like early on too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like normally cult leaders kind of ease you in. Yeah. They're like, hey, come join our church. And then it's like, join our, you know, women's group and then it's like don't you want to be in charge of your own destiny like don't you want to be empowered and strong like how nexium did nexium yeah Yeah. i was thinking nexium or jim jones yeah how he was and yeah and then it sort of like graduates to signing over like your house and your property and yeah and everything but they ease you into it but i think in credonia's case she she starts for it i know she starts off extreme but she's on board with the legitimate catholic leader right now so he has like, his involvement adds legitimacy to their overall message. Yes. Because she couldn't really be legitimate. Or she had too many things going on. So she needed him to right. be kind of the face of it. So she, like, got into his head and used his faith and his ego to manipulate him into doing what she wanted done. Yes. If, of course, you believe that at the time he was, like, a normal, legitimate man of God who was end up brainwashed by her. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or was he in on it? I don't know. So when Joseph and Credonia were kicked out of his house, they ended up settling on the banana plantation that the woman inherited from her three dead brothers. Oh, that was How convenient. convenient. <laughs> and they left his house with about 200 followers in tow. About 200 people Lord. hanging around this house. I don't think I know 200 people. I don't know 200 people. This land where they settled is absolutely beautiful, though. There's, like, rolling hills. It's all green. You grow crops and, like, bananas bananas. and stuff on the hillside. It's so pretty. I saw pictures of it online. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So they stay here on this farm, and they wrote out their 163-page manifesto. Wow. Always a good sign when somebody writes a manifesto. And it's 163 pages. Called, quote, A Timely Message from Heaven, The End of Present Times. Cheery. The AP got a copy of this manifesto in 2000 when the article was written that I found from University of Illinois. The cover had a picture of a bleeding crucified Christ on it. And let me tell you some details about what was in it. Okay. It didn't say a whole lot about surrendering your possessions like a lot of cults do, but it just says that, quote, everyone must contribute. Credonia being Credonia, she probably encouraged people or demanded people give her as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time of this cult, poverty and AIDS were really severe in Uganda. 
This manifesto cites these afflictions as divine punishment for sinning, and the only way for things to get better was to bring back a strict following of the Ten Commandments. Hence how they got the name. Okay. Pretty much any sexual relationships, drinking, and herbal medicine was considered satanic. Any herbalists were called witch doctors who were, quote, in the company of the devil. Okay. I know you love your herbs. I do love my herbs. I have a whole book on them. And you'll like this. Cats and dogs were all possessed by Satan. Oh, sometimes I think my cat is, <laughs> but she just has her moods. This is a quote. Cats and dogs are already possessed by the devil. From these animals, Satan is actually fighting against man, particularly those who own animals. So we're apparently being fought. The devil's trying to get us or something? I think so. I mean, I can see that. It's, yeah, (laughs) sometimes. I mean, she pretty much runs this house, so. Don't all of her pets run her houses? (laughs) Yes. They made sure to drive home the point that they were not creating a new religion, that they were simply making people aware that the commandments of God have been abandoned and they need to go back to being observed. Again, this cult relies heavily on the Roman Catholic faith and it drew its membership on those who were a little unhappy with the current church. Also, Joseph was a Catholic leader. Again, it makes it seem so much more credible. And this is driven home again in chapters devoted to Joseph, Credonia, and her visions. And Credonia's sister even gets a chapter devoted to her visions. Okay. The visions she call has visions too. I sister. guess so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Genetic. Genetic. <laughs> These visions call on them to ban short skirts, cos- cosmetics, sex, conversation, and supports fasting, prayer, and hard manual labor. Okay. I, I mean... Sounds very cult-like. It's par for the really course, right? Does. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly for a doomsday cult, the manifesto doesn't dwell too much on specifics about the end times, but it does mention the falls of other cities and countries. London, France, and Mexico are mentioned, and they say that, quote, Mozambique will be destroyed by its own machinery and that Japan will have rain falling for as long as my father wants, being father-like in heaven. God, yes. Capital F. Capital Capital F. <laughs> Japan is like, what did we do? (laughs) (laughs) Random. (laughs) And one of the most haunting messages, though, is this one. Quote, all of you living on the planet, listen to what I'm going to say. When the year 2000 is completed, the year that will follow will not be year 2001. That year that will follow shall be called year one in a generation that will follow the present generation. The generation that will follow will have few or many people, depending on who will repent. The Lord told me that hurricanes of fire would rain forth from heaven and spread all over those who would not have repented. This fire will also reach inside of the buildings. There is no way one can escape. Did they mean 2020? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe they're just predicting global warming. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The Virgin Mary's like, no, this is not what I meant. (laughs) Global warming is what I'm trying to tell you. The last note update to this manifesto was in 1996, and according to them, their official end-of-the-world date where the rapture-ish was supposed to start was December 31st, 1999. Oh. Y2K! Y2K! I remember that. (laughs) Now settled in their own place, and with a noted Roman Catholic leader at the helm, the cult took off. Joseph, by the way, is now calling himself a bishop and wearing the rings and robes that go with it and starting to ordain other young men as leaders in the cult without the backing or the approval of the Catholic Church. That's highly frowned upon. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't just call yourself a Catholic bishop without going through proper channels. There's a process to this. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Joseph on the surface was the man in charge, but Cordonia was the true leader. She was the HBIC. Okay. And this I wondered about because at first I thought this was a case of patriarchy and how even in a cult, like a woman has to be propped up by a man because nobody's going to listen to her, but they'll listen to him. But then the more I read about it, I think she was just smart and cunning. She knew that Joseph already had prestige and status in the church already. And she just kind of piggybacked him and chose him to, to like manipulate, you know? Yeah. Juvenile Magamwa, Joe's son, said his father was, quote, a perfect figurehead in a country where male leadership is deemed necessary for any group's legitimacy. So, again, she needed a man to prop She needed him, yes. Yeah. He had status, he had money, and he had a vehicle. And he had money, he was religious, he was educated, he had a convincing tongue, he said, and that, quote, when you have money, you are respected and liked. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And even cult survivors admit that Credonia was the driving force behind everything and that Joseph was pretty much just the figurehead. One member said he was nominally in charge and that he appeared to be kind of weak and maybe suffered from manic depression. He reported that Joseph was a quiet man for the most part, and Credonia was a lot rougher when it came to handling the members. Clearly. Yeah. You can imagine, though, that the Catholic Church was not too happy about somebody going around and calling themselves a bishop and granting people priesthood on his own yes. and <laughs> refusing their orders to stop doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Joseph eventually managed to recruit two more bishops to his cause, and then by then the church had enough and made the move to excommunicate him, which is like the most severe punishment you can get. Yes. Well, it's in the, the church, severe punishment you can get in the church on yeah. paper. On paper. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> on paper. Soon the cult's ranks would swell into the thousands. A government filing in 1997 listed the membership at about 5,000 people. It was growing. And the social conditions in East Africa at the time were just horrible. Famine hit the region in Somalia and Ethiopia. The Rwandan genocide was going mm-hmm. on in Uganda was just recovering from the rule of Idi Amin, who was considered to be one of the most brutal leaders in history. So you kind of have an environment that's ripe for recruitment. Oh, gosh. Because people are wanting something more yeah. than what it's they've like been if- experiencing. Exactly. And it's just been so bad. It's like bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. Mm-hmm for so long that's how cults thrive yep they find that opening and they go in there Mm -hmm. and coming off of that aids is rampant and people are starting to turn against the government and the church thinking that they failed everybody and the decisions their decisions brought the wrath of god onto everybody yeah so the government's not helping the church isn't helping what are we going to do One former member of the cult, who was a former Catholic priest himself, told the New York Times that many people joined because AIDS was rampant, poverty was rampant, and there were problems within the church itself that a lot of people felt unhappy with. Mm -hmm. He said, quote, we had good intentions. The church was backsliding, the priests were covered in scandals, and the AIDS scourge was taking its toll on the faithful. The world seemed poised to end. Yes. One person said they all acted like ordinary Christians, but they said they were, quote, inspired by the Holy Spirit and that they had supernatural powers. Wait, everyone in the cult said that? Yeah. So 5,000 people have powers? Um, I think the 5,000 people were just kind of ordinary Christians, but the leaders were the ones with the supernatural powers. Okay, they meant everybody said they had powers. I mean, 5,000 people not having supernatural powers probably kill a cult pretty fast. As I said before, it wasn't explicitly mandated that you sell off your possessions to join, but that's what you're expected to do. Credonia and Joseph ended up with a shit ton of money from this, but they appeared not to have poured much of it back into their compound. Shocker. They did get the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God legally incorporated in 1994, and they licensed a boarding school in 1998. But the government said the teachings were, quote, contrary to the Ugandan constitution, so the government revoked the school's license. The government also was concerned about health regulations and the treatment of the children. And in 1998, the cult got into trouble for child labor, but they were allowed to reopen later. So it appeared they they resolved it somehow, probably just did enough to get the government off their backs. Yeah. One member who joined in 1990 said he was made to fill out a questionnaire. And one of the questions was, would you be willing to die for your faith? Oh, that sounds like Jim Jones. Red flags. Big red flags. That's (laughs) One of many red flags. Yes. This is a red flag factory. (laughs) Again, sex was forbidden even among married couples. Conversation was limited and their sign language was widely used. Fasting was normal and on Mondays and Fridays, members were only allowed one meal per day. Hard work and manual labor was expected and most soap was forbidden as well. I think they only took baths like one day a week. So you're keeping people not fed. Yeah. And you're working them hard. Yes. Which is creating a mental fog of having no idea what's happening. Interesting. You pick up on that. (laughs) (laughs) The community was pretty much self-sustainable as they built their own dwellings, farmed and raised their own food, and their members provided pretty much any labor they needed for anything. Mm -hmm. Judith Ariho was brought to the cult when she was 10 when her mother was widowed and struggled to raise her and her two siblings. Judith said the group offered prayer, food, and a place to stay, and they really had a sense of belonging. Again, this is how you get people in cults, man. Mm -hmm. She said 
life revolved around prayer and farming, and that that was pretty much all they did. She said they did everything possible to avoid sin, and if they did sin, they sometimes made you recite the rosary a thousand times. Oh my God. What if you got to like 832 and then lost count? Yeah. I'm like, wait, what am I on? I'd be like, shit. <laughs> she was told that if someone on the cult did sin, Cordonia would cry tears of blood because they were aware of everything that happened in the group. Why? And to me, <laughs> this just goes to show the kind of control that she had over everybody. Because if she makes people believe that she's always watching, she knows what's going on. And if you sin and I'm not looking, I will cry tears of blood. So I'll know if you're sinning. Right. It's like she's she's like some kind of evil Santa Claus. Like she sees you evil when you're Santa sleeping Claus. and when you're awake. <laughs> Wait, what was in your story? The Your last one with Mercy, the other girl that died in her headstone was oh like, yeah we'll be watching you or i'll something. be watching you <laughs> sometimes they took walks to this rocky hill near the compound to pray near a rock formation that looked like the virgin mary most days they were woken up at 3 a.m for a two-hour morning prayer and then they slept on dirt floors with no mattresses again you keep them tired yep Manual labor was normal in this cult. One survivor said that their lives consisted of building and digging everywhere as if they were slaves, and he compared it to being in prison. Which, if you think about it, the comparison to slavery is kind of appropriate here because, like you said, if you keep somebody mentally and physically weak and broken down, it's easier to control them. They're mm -hmm. less likely to fight back or resist you. Yeah, because they don't know like what's that. happening. They don't, they're sleep deprived, they're food deprived, they're yeah. worked. So they're just kind of kept in this mental state Credonia kept her people eating the bare minimum working long days and nights and they weren't allowed to talk so it'd be harder for anybody to try and plan an escape or uprising much less successfully execute one you could sign it <laughs> you could sign language it but then other people could see uh, yeah in fact Katarina Nansana a woman who was expelled from the cult when her daughters came to bust her out said that all of this <laughs> sort of led to a blind obedience she says she had constant sores on her arms and legs and hands and feet, and she worked all day and night, but she didn't care because at the time, she legitimately believed that what she was doing was right. God, I wonder why. I don't know. Another former member, Mary Kasambi, said that Cordonia would tell them that their job was to, like, dig for a week, and then they would. Or she'd come up to them and say, today we're not going to eat for three days, and then they wouldn't. And she said Cordonia called... The, her messages from the Virgin Mary, a program, and she would transmit it to the members, and it was the members' job to obey the order because the order's coming from the Virgin Mary. Yeah, it's coming from high up. So many of them thought they were doing what the Virgin Mary was instructing. In 1997, though, uh, Mary Kasambi left the cult because she saw her children chasing down grasshoppers and bugs to eat. Oh, so she's like, I got, I got to get out of this. Yeah, she's yeah. like, I got to feed my kids. So she got out. Good for her. Life continued this way for several years until late 1999. December approached. Many cult members began selling off the rest of their clothes and the rest of what little possessions they had. Some sold or gave away expensive cattle that they had raised, and they slowed down their farming activities drastically. Now, they would have some expensive cows and stuff, and they would just sell it for dirt cheap. Well, because they probably didn't care. If no, they, they did the world's going to end, then exactly. it's like, yeah, whatever, just get rid of it. Even some former members who left began to come back. One couple interviewed in a New York Times story said their children were members and they went to go get them, but ended up staying because they were just curious to see what was going to happen if the world really was going to end <laughs> and if these visions were real. Yeah. The new year came and went and nothing, nothing happened. Nothing happened. There's no big apocalypse, no end of the world, no Y2K. Yay. Nothing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you remember when midnight hit? Oh my gosh, I remember like, turn off your computers, unplug everything. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like, nothing happened. Like I just remember <laughs> it hitting midnight and I was with Stella and we were all, we were just kind of like, okay, we're okay. We're good. We're good. All right. Another day. All right. Let's go outside and bang our pans. <laughs> yeah, that was really kind of a, I don't know. I think like some computers somewhere like bus ticket terminals didn't give out bus tickets or something. And like a few computers had glitches places, but oh my gosh, people were like stocking up. People would get food and yeah. groceries and weapons and, and things like withdraw a bunch of cash from the bank thinking that the banks would go down. That was a huge thing. 
yes. about Y2K that I remember is people thought the banking system would somehow collapse because the computers wouldn't know how much money you had in your accounts. So Stella, hi Stella, if you're listening, sorry, I'm going to talk about your mom. I love your mom. <laughs> Her mom was one to do that, where like stocked up on food in their basement. I think they changed their gas fireplace over to wood. Um, I went on a trip with her and we had to listen to Y2K tapes on like talking about tapes or talking about Y2K, like the audio tapes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a big, it was a really big thing, but like she spent New Year's Eve with me over at my house. Like we watched a movie <laughs> and had pizza. So her mom probably wasn't like as concerned, but yeah. yeah. So when COVID hit, I was like, I bet her mom is super prepared right now. <laughs> I have my Y2K leftovers. <laughs> yeah. So again, so if you're listening, I love you. Love your mom. <laughs> On January 1st, 2000, people awoke to a normal day, and soon after, some people began asking Cadonia some questions. Many inquired <laughs> as to what happened and why the world didn't end and why her predictions that were given to her directly from the Virgin Mary didn't come true. <laughs> what the hell? Peter Ahimbisabwe, he was 17 in the year 2000, he said that when people began to question Cadonia, some of them soon turned up missing. Oh, and some people didn't just ask about the failed doomsday, but a few began to ask for their possessions or their money back because they wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. Basically, the world didn't end and I want a refund. <laughs> Give me like, my money. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you have the receipt? Um, I am not satisfied. I had 60 days. <laughs> we, have, we have a 30-day return policy. <laughs> Peter said, quote, the people who sold their property would inquire one by one. Whoever would inquire, they would disappear. Good Lord. So you just can't even say anything. Just no. get out and suck it up. When confronted by others or to quell any curiosity, Credonia pointed out to everyone that the manifesto they wrote specifically states the world would end before the completion of the year 2000. All right. And that there would be no 2001. So December 31st was just the start date, but we still have time, people. Oh, so we she moved said, the goalposts. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's how they do, you know? Oh, yes. So she said before the completion of 2000. In March of 2000, it seemed that the time was coming near. On March 14th, the cult began preparations for a big party. This was it. The day is coming. Everybody's super excited. One woman who lived nearby, not a member of the cult, used to give some of the members rides in her truck to town. And she says she picked up some of the women and they went into the town to buy milk, bread, and soft drinks. When she came back, she talked to Credonia, who was dressed in a red robe instead of her usual green and white robe. She said she was invited to come to a party that was set for March 17th. Okay. On March 12th, one of the former priests that Joseph talked into joining went to town to visit a man he knew who worked on car batteries. That priest purchased 50 liters of sulfuric acid. Oh, no. Uh-oh. On the morning of March 17th, everyone gathered in a big building they had decorated with palm fronds. Peter, the 17-year-old survivor, left that morning to go find some food because he was hungry for breakfast before the big party started. On his way out, he passed another member he knew carrying a box of hammers and nails. They roasted three bulls to eat, which I bet was amazing considered how little they're allowed to eat. Oh, yeah. And plus, Peter had only been there just a week at that time. He had few family members who were members, and he just stopped by to visit them. So he was not a member of the cult. Okay. That's why he went off to find food. He's like, look, I'm hungry. I'm like, hungry. Get some to eat around food. Here. <laughs> the people had eaten porridge for breakfast. They shaved their heads with razors. They burned all of their sparse belongings they had left, and they changed into green and white uniforms. They got crates, like 70 crates of Coke. Like Coca-Cola, okay. not cocaine. <laughs> okay. Specify. I'm from Kentucky. Everything carbonated and caffeinated is a Coke. <laughs> but they did get Coca-Cola. Okay. And compared their building to Noah's Ark as if they would all be taken to safety while everyone else on earth was feeling the wrath of God in this, you know, apocalypse. Peter said that nobody talked about death. Nobody acted like it was the end. They all just seemed like they would be rescued somehow or that they would be taken away. They were all kind of in upbeat spirits. So they're all in this building drinking Coke and partying and just waiting for the Virgin Mary to come to appear to all of them. Okay. If this were Game of Thrones, this is the Red Wedding and this is where Reigns of Castamere oh, starts playing. Yes, and you just think, oh no. Oh. 
Around 12.45 p.m., the police station in Kanungu got a call that there was a fire at the group's headquarters. Some neighbors heard a loud explosion and then saw flames coming out of the building. Emergency services arrived, put out the fire, and they noticed the windows and doors had all been nailed shut from the oh, outside. Oh, he saw someone carrying nails. Peter saw somebody carrying a box of hammers and nails. That's probably the person who boarded up the doors and windows. Yes. So I want to remind you of this passage in their manifesto. The Lord told me that hurricanes of fire would rain forth from heaven and spread all over those who would not have repented. This fire will also reach inside the buildings. There is no way one can escape. Okay, so it doesn't work when you do it yourself. <laughs> we get doesn't count. No DIY apocalypsing no. here, people. Being that it's a cult, the immediate speculation was that they all poisoned themselves and somebody set the building on fire like for them. Mm-hmm. At one end of the building, there were about 68 jerry cans. Um, those are like those big military-looking gas cans. You see them a lot on the back of Jeeps or off-road vehicles. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And on the other end was one big, massive pile of bodies. Oh. Those cans could hold more than 1,000 liters of gasoline. That's about 265 gallons for the United States and the other country in the world that doesn't use the metric system one other country like one or two is it (laughs) the fire was so hot and so intense it caused some people's skulls to explode oh god for comparison one instance in history where human skulls have exploded due to intense heat and pressure was in 79 a.d when mount vesuvius erupted over pompeii oh lord if that gives you any indication of the severity of this fire yeah the bodies were so melted and burned together, it became nearly impossible to identify anyone. But people still tried. The Guardian article said that some bodies looked like they died in terror and some were curled against the wall like they were trying to hide from the flames. And they also found bodies of children and babies as well. Oh, that's awful. It really does seem kind of reminiscent of Pompeii, if you ask me, because we went there on a study abroad trip and we got to see the plaster casts of the people and they kind of left them how they were found. Mm-hmm. And some of them really are like their mouths are open. They look like they're clawing their way like out of debris. Some people look like they're just laying down asleep. It's really, really like you get a, like a sense of kind of darkness when you right. see it. I can't imagine the horror they went through. Oh, when I that volcano either. erupted on them. Yeah. Or being in this fire, in this building. And there's nowhere you can go. You cannot escape it. One woman who lived nearby said the smoke was so bad it stayed in the air for days. People walked around with aromatic leaves under their noses to mask the smell of burnt bodies. And oh. for several months afterwards, most people just couldn't even eat meat. Well, I don't blame them. It ruined their appetites. I don't either. The death toll varies based on the source, but it seems like the number has settled um, at around 530 victims. Wow. And the reasons are twofold. First, the pile of charred and melted bodies makes it really hard to get an accurate number. And second, this is not the end of the cult story with this fire. Oh, no. After the fire in a latrine pit nearby, people kept smelling a foul stench. Now, burning bodies smell really, really bad. Can you imagine smelling something worse? Well, I've never smelled a burning body. Or like dead bodies or anything. But I've smelled like... Smell roadkill. I've smelled decomposing things. Yes, like the grossest decomposing like roadkill or something you can smell. And then think of something that smells worse. I don't know what does smell worse. They followed the scent and it led next to Credonia's bedroom in a latrine pit where they found the bodies of six big muscular men being dissolved in sulfuric acid. Ooh. This is probably what the guy used the acid for that he bought from the automotive guy. Yeah. In light of this discovery, authorities began looking around other sites where the cult operated because they had, you know, like little satellite buildings and groups that lived off away from the main headquarters. They were hoping to find some clues into what was happening within the group. And they soon found multiple locations of mass graves. Oh my god. Apparently, Credonia had long been killing off smaller groups of her cult one by one in outposts apart from their main location. Police think she poisoned them during an evening meal and then had them quickly buried on site. Some victims, however, appear to have been strangled and it's suspected that these are the ones who try to flee or realize what was happening and fought back or the ones that just didn't die fast enough. Where you clearly don't believe what you are pitching to people. Because if you are killing people who are trying to leave, like you know what you're doing is wrong. 
Of course. Like yes. she knows she's full of it. Yes. And as much as this happened, nobody ever knew. They once performed a killing about 50 feet from Teresa Kibesemeyer's house, and she only heard vehicles coming and going at night, which was typical. Mm -hmm. It was nothing to be alarmed about. She noticed the digging, and she was told they were just digging out latrines, when in reality, the cult members were digging their own graves. Oh, that's why she wanted them to dig. This is why she wanted them to dig all the time. How twisted. 155 bodies were found in a pit near another man's house. At another site, they found 234 more bodies. At first, prisoners were made to help exhume the bodies, and it very quickly became too much for them to deal with. In some places, the bodies were stacked so tightly together that investigators couldn't untangle them enough to find out where one body stopped and another started. Wow. At another place, they found 94 adult bodies and the bodies of 59 children in a mass grave. And some of these bodies showed cut marks and signs of violence that the other ones didn't have. Mm-hmm. These bodies were found buried underneath a cult house in the middle of a field, which never attracted any attention, except for the day after the fire at the headquarters, somebody came and burned this house down overnight. Oh, okay. I bet they never would have found them if they just left it alone. Probably not. They drew attention to it. Right. The poisoning victims were stripped, their clothes were burned, and they were packed into graves about 10 to 15 feet deep. A normal grave is about six feet. Mm-hmm. Many were found in latrines, some were found under a pad of fresh concrete, and some were found in the middle of banana fields. I wonder if there's ones that have not been found. They do wonder about that. Had they not found the bodies of the big burly henchmen dissolving in the acid, police probably wouldn't have thought to investigate the other smaller cult locations. Yeah. Investigator Eric Nigambi said, quote, it would have been the perfect murder. The belief changed from a ritual cult mass suicide to premeditated murder and that Credonia had hired her six henchmen to carry out the killings for her and she had them killed when she no longer needed their services. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't rat her out. Yep. The vice president of Uganda at the time even apologized for not stopping them before the deaths. I don't know what you could have done. There's nothing he could have done. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the solution would have been. Yeah. Saying, quote, these were callously well-orchestrated mass murders perpetuated by a network of diabolic, malevolent criminals masquerading as religious people. That's about right. Yep. The president of Uganda said it was a mass murder by these priests for monetary gain. They just wanted everybody's money and possessions. Yep. Which they got. The fire that killed 530 people is the second largest mass murder from a cult in a single incident behind the Jonestown massacre that killed 918 people, which you did the episode about. Yes. But the overall death toll hovers between 925 and 1,000, which surpasses Jim Jones's cult and the total number of victims. Right. It just wasn't all. It wasn't all at once. Yeah. How did I not hear about this until recently? I've never heard about this. Authorities had a lot of trouble investigating because they had about 20 to 30 people assigned to this case, but they needed much more. One official said they needed international assistance because they need homicide experts and the smaller Mm -hmm. departments just don't have the resources to handle such a massive incident. Most officials believe that the true death toll may never be known because there could be more mass graves that they just never found. No, and if you've got people who left their families or who didn't have family, then there's nobody to wonder where they went so there's exactly there's no way to track that exactly authorities think joseph kibotari and the cult leaders might have died in the fire however some say he died months before and credonia began losing her grasp on control of the group and therefore she expedited her murder date we don't really know what happened to him though a few witnesses mentioned how they never saw him around the compound before the fire but the prevailing theory as to why this happened was that after her doomsday prophecy Failed to come true, she began to lose control of the group and her followers started to want out. Mm -hmm. So she had to do something. The day before the fire, Joseph's family received a package in the mail from him. It had copies of the cult's government registration, their manifesto, copies of the Ten Commandments, and some other paperwork relevant to the group. His son said he thinks Joseph intended for them to carry on their message, which they did not do. No. The prevailing theory about Credonia is that she left Uganda after the fire, most likely escaping over the border into Congo. And with Congo being a pretty unstable place at the time because of war in the country and lawless factions of militiamen, chasing Mm -hmm. after her was out of the question. Right. 
If alive today, Cordonia would be in her late 60s, but since the date of the fire on March 17th, 2000, she has never been found. Oh, I wonder where she is. I don't know. Can they say for sure she didn't die in that fire, or do they not even know? I think somebody may have saw her like on a bus or out town or something like that. I don't think they think that she died in the fire. She just killed everybody else. Yep. There were warrants out for her arrest for a long time. She's been charged with a bunch of mass murders, but nobody knows what happened to her. Say the name again, because it's a mouthful. The Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. Okay. And Thou Shalt Not Kill is one of those Ten Commandments. People conveniently forget that a lot of the times when they want to cite the commandments. They kind of forget the not killing part, which is a big one. Yeah, I don't think the Virgin Mary would have been very happy with what she did. No, not at all. Any religious person, no religious person should be okay with with what she did. Because it's not religion. It's not, I mean, there are issues with organized religion, I would say. Yes, Um, yeah. There is good that comes from it. I know it does give comfort to people. Um mm-hmm. and it does do and it does do good for the community when done in the right way. Um but there are issues with it. But what she did is not religion. That's it's taking religion and hiding behind it and then twisting it to fit what you want and using it for your abuse to justify your abuse basically. Right. Right. Picking and choosing what you want to believe. Yeah. That's what I wondered about Joseph. I was like, I kept going back and forth on him thinking, was he just like a religious, like Catholic priest who was manipulated by her, which yes, he was into following this. Or did he have a little bit of ego too? I think he had a little bit of ego too. And he had a little bit of that. Like, I feel important. I feel like I'm having visions too. And like, I feel like I'm the chosen one. Yeah. Which I feel like, like most true people, if they saw some vision of, God or the Virgin Mary come to them, they'd be like, why me? Like, <laughs> I um, don't, sorry, I don't want this. I, yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> there are so many better people in the world to carry off your plans, to carry out your plans <laughs> than I would be. Cause I know that's how I would be. I'd be like, yeah, I don't think I can do this for you, girl. I don't want to do this. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> pass hard pass. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't think Joseph was like that. I don't think he was like, you know, this woman comes to his door saying the Virgin Mary told me to come find you and we need to start this movement together. I think most people would be like, yeah, I'd, let's just go talk somewhere. You and I'm me. I'm good. And then, I'm good. Yeah. Well, you said he was fascinated with people who saw, who had he visions. Was. So was. it was like he was primed to already believe that and then be yeah. like, oh, I have this connection. Now I can be a part of this too. And I think she picked him out because he was already a leader in the community and well-known and well-established. Mm-hmm. So I she needed she his smart. coattails to hang on to. I think she was smart. Um, maybe had some mental health problems. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But very Bad smart ones. and very manipulative and knowing how to use people for her own gain. Yeah. Oh, I feel so bad for those people, though. I know. That's terrible. I know. They all deserve to be able to like come out of it and to get out, to realize this isn't right, and to then move on with their life. Right. Especially the kids who had no choice. I know. Some kids were born into it, too, and yeah. like that's all they knew. Well, it's like Jonestown. They injected the kids first. Yeah. Because what's a parent going to do when they've just seen their kid injected with yeah. poison? I thought at first they were going to take the acid and Coke and mix it together and drink it. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. And you said they were all drinking. I thought, well, yeah, poison, which may have been, I mean, I hate to say it, but because being poisoned obviously would not be peaceful. It would be incredibly painful, but I feel like it would have been the better way to go instead of burning and burning to death in a fire. Yeah. Ugh. You can only hope that when that happens, somebody maybe has a heart attack or something and just dies faster. Mm-hmm. I don't know what good way there is to die like that, but I don't know. I just hope the body has a way of like just shutting, shutting off. itself down. Yeah. Yeah. Or something to make it not painful and to where you don't feel it and you just drift away. Yeah. But I don't think that would happen immediately. No, no. You go through, you go through terror and pain. I wonder if they were all trying to get out. Probably. Was there like a door over there? If they were all trying to get out. It was nailed shut if it was. 
your survival kicks in and you're going to do any, you're going to try and do anything you can to get out of there. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. It's horrifying. It's a terrible story, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks for that. (laughs) You're welcome. I told you it was a bummer. It's a little shorter than normal, but it, it got severe pretty fast. Yeah. And it, yeah, it didn't have that buildup that you see with a lot of cults where mm-hmm. it starts out of something that no one ever joins a cult. They join a church or an organization or a community yeah. club or something. A group. Yeah. A group, some group that seems legit and is legit at first and then slowly gets things get added on. Mm-hmm. This just seemed to be like, nope, you are in a cult. Right yeah, away. for real. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. We are taking your children. We are locking them in a shed. You can't talk anymore. You have to sign and can't sleep with your husband or wife. And you, and have you can't one talk. Day. Yeah, yeah, can't talk. Can you imagine going up? I'm like, hi, yeah. I just I heard you had visions of the Virgin Mary. I just like to come and you know see if I can hang out and pray for a little bit or something. Okay, here's a questionnaire. <laughs> are you willing to die for your faith? Um, I guess so. <laughs> okay, you're you're there's a shovel. Um, start digging a big start hole. Digging. Yeah. And we eat on Thursday. Oh, by the way, shh. <laughs> like, are you serious? You'd be like, okay. <laughs> no. Well, but no. like you said, that region, if it was unstable, there was a lot going on. Like you said, you had the AIDS epidemic, you had Rwanda had happened, you had a lot of instability in the region, and you have people who are needing something to hold on to. Yeah, they so need hope. They perfect. need they need hope. They need prayer. They need community. Uh huh. So it was just that perfect storm of being able to get these people in. Yep. And she did. She, she did it did. really well. I want to know where she is. I don't know. I wonder if she's even alive today. She would be in her late sixties. But... That's not that old. No, it's not. Not at all. But apparently, she made off with a lot of people's money. So who knows where she went? Yeah. But I mean, where's, you know, how, what's she going to do with all that money? I don't That's know. It's not going to draw attention to herself. You said she ended up in the Congo. They I mean, think she ended up in the they Congo. They think she ended up in the Congo. Yeah. Well, that, it was a good story. It was a bummer story, but it was a good story. I learned. I'd never heard about this before. I hadn't either. And I thought this is a pretty severe cult for it to be. And cults are very interesting to me. I'm surprised I haven't yeah. heard about this. When Midsummer came out, I remember watching it and then you watched it and I'm like, okay, we have to talk about this when we both see it. <laughs> and to me, like Midsummer makes a good argument for joining a cult because it shows how they prey on certain people. Like the girl in the movie lost her family, like her boyfriend, she was on the rock with her boyfriend. Spoiler oh, yeah. alert. Okay. <laughs> if you haven't seen Midsummer by now, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but you know, when she was crying and stuff like that, and all the other girls went and hugged her and they were crying with her. And at first yes. she was kind of like, what the hell? But then like the other guy was like, does anybody hug you? You know? And it's like, we are with you. Like mm-hmm. whatever you're feeling, we're feeling, we don't have to know exactly what you're feeling. We don't have to know why it you're doesn't crying, matter. We but we're crying with you. Like mm-hmm. we are on your side and that she found a family. She found belonging and love and care. She won in the end. She did. And I'm like, Okay, and you're kind of rooting for her because the movie starts out and she's in such a bad place. You're like, I just want things to get better for her. And, and they, they do, but she's in a cult now. But she's in a cult <laughs> and some really crazy things happen right. in the middle of this. I love movies like that, though, where you come out so conflicted about it. I know. That's such a good movie, though. That It is. Because it's it's so uncomfortable. Because yes. M- with me, it was such a mental thing when I saw it because scary movies, scary things happen at in the dark at night. Like, that's when you're prepared. Like, when it gets dark, you're like, okay, something's going to happen. This uh-huh. movie, it never gets dark. It's just light all the time. Yeah. So you don't have that mental trigger to be like, okay, I prepare myself. It's like, oh, God, anything can happen anytime. It never gets dark. And it's just such a... It was such a good movie just because it was so bright and cheery and happy, but it's like, this is really uncomfortable and I don't know why it's uncomfortable, but I don't like this. It's like the extremes you talked about with the clown faces, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you don't know what's behind the makeup and it's like, 
okay, it's daylight and the colors are beautiful and you're in this beautiful place. I'm like, but something really sinister is happening. So you kind of have that both sides going on and your brain doesn't know which one to go with. Some vibe is triggering that like flight response, but it's like, but it's so nice and happy here. And even again, spoiler, even when the old people jump off the cliff. Yeah. That's like, it's like, oh my God. But then they come back and they're like, I mean, what you stick them in a home like are you supposed to stick them in a home and let them die like no they've made the choice that their life is over that cycle is over and yeah. they choose to leave in this way and they die willingly and they like, did it they willingly. weren't murdered so it's kind of like yet <laughs> okay yeah yeah it's kind of like okay that makes sense i don't like it but it does make sense mm-hmm that's like hered- um, hereditary too. Oh God, that, that was movie such a made disturbing me movie. Very uncomfortable. Such an uncomfortable. I w- I only watched that one time because I was so disturbed after it. Where I'm like, okay, that's it. Like I don't need to see that movie again. <laughs> we should watch it when I visit. We should. Oh, it was so. I felt so off after I watched it that I don't. But that's what good horror movies are. I know. I love the ones nowadays. Like, I don't really care for jump scare movies too much. I don't really care for slasher movies too much. I love movies where you're just like feeling uneasy the whole time. <laughs> There's a guy I work with that watched it. He come into work the next day. He's like, don't watch that movie. Don't watch that movie. And I was like, I've already seen it. And he was like, don't you just feel so icky? He's like, I left the theater. And I was just like, yes. I need to go home and take a shower or That's something. He's like, way. I felt like I had something on me or like, and he just couldn't shake it. Yes, that's that's how it was. And I don't know I we I guess we should watch. That's what she does. Or I thought she clicked. Is it a clicking or is it like Donkey doesn't Shrek? No, I think she I don't know. I have to look it up. <laughs> My cat is looking at me like, "What are you doing?" Do you remember when you did that in the car that time you were driving down the road and going, <laughs> "Scared the crap out of me." <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw somebody, what was it? Somebody was like leaning out the window of a car the other day. And I was like, get your head back in. It's going to get knocked off like the girl in Hereditary. Yes. Oh, that part where that happened. I was like, no, they didn't. No. That surprised me. I thought, like, isn't she like the main character? Like, she's the main character. You follow just... her around for the first 20 minutes. Like, okay, it's about this girl. I'm like, nope, not anymore. And then the guy, he was like, just sits there in the car. And he's just like sitting there and that's when in the movie you can't eat your popcorn or anything so you have to like be there too like not doing anything because yes. <laughs> it's awkward because you don't want to be the awkward person chomping on popcorn in the movie theater like, this is good so Her it makes you feel awkward in two ways <laughs> this is good <laughs> no that was yeah i guess maybe we should watch it i guess we'll do it well thanks for that you're welcome <laughs> No, a little shorter good. than normal, but no, but it was good. Pretty it was, hard. I learned something. Yeah, you learned not to join cults. Well, I already knew that. That's nah, true. But again, you never join a cult. You join some kind of organization. Mm-hmm. Except this, like you joined a cult as soon as you signed up for this. You were in a cult. <laughs> Call your dad. Call your dad. <laughs> hey yo, shout out. Hey, what's up? My favorite murder. <laughs> Well, I'll also have a bummer story the next time. That's good. Always in the mood for bummer stories. Mm-hmm. It's one a lot of you probably know. You okay. probably know it, but it's a bummer. Okay. It's it's an interesting one. We'll have some good discussion on it, I think. Okay, good. Good, good, yeah. good. And I will see you in like a week. In the, <laughs> a, a week-ish. A yeah, week like a week and a couple, couple days. days. Yes. Yep. <laughs> a week and a couple days. Everybody else, I'll see you in two weeks. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Darker Set of Life Podcast. That's also our email address, Darker Set of Life Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at DSOL Podcast. And thanks. See you soon. Bye. You miss my clowns now.